Oral questions by members? Member for Surrey South. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Last night, uh, the lack of new schools and increasing numbers of portables uh, came up on notice in Surrey City Council because the community is uh, very concerned with the crisis situation in School District 36, and they're concerned that it will impede the city's ability to build new homes and to help tackle the housing affordability crisis. The Premier's spectacular failure to deliver for Surrey parents has left 10,000 students to languish in portables. In fact, families in Surrey are now getting the opposite of what the NDP promised. There isn't even room for more portables on school grounds. The NDP promised portable-free schools by 2020, but instead, they've given Surrey the absurd absurdity of double-decker portables, Mr. Speaker. So a simple question for the Premier, will the NDP ever keep their promise to eliminate Surrey portables, and if so, when? Government House Leader. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker, and uh, really appreciate the newfound interest from the opposition on uh, education funding and investments in schools, Honourable Speaker. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, it. It certainly wasn't the case. It wasn't certainly wasn't the case, Honourable Speaker, when they were on this side of the House, Honourable Speaker. It was not the case. But I appreciate the time uh, in opposition. Members, 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 members. I appreciate the time in opposition has, uh, has uh, changed their views on investments in education and, and, and in schools, Honourable Speaker. Now, the member asked the question, and the member wasn't here, but many of her colleagues were. She'll know that when the leader of the opposition, the leader of the opposition was uh, the Minister of Finance, he gave zeros for four years as Minister of Finance for budgets for capital for schools in Surrey. Zeros, Honourable Speaker. Last four years. Members, 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 oh. members, members will come to order. Oh. Hold it. That's enough, members. Members will come to order. Please. Honourable uh, I appreciate the, the other former uh, Minister of Finance saying it was only two years under him. It was two years under me. So I appreciate him highlighting that he was part of this, uh, this challenge as well. Honourable <laughs> Speaker, when, when we formed government, there was 8,000 uh, um, students' seats that were needed in, in Surrey. The last four years of their government, there was actually zero schools being built in Surrey, Honourable Speaker. What we Oh, yeah, yeah. Members, let's hear the answer, please. You can respond to that later. Let's hear the answer first. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. I think it's important to note that um, we had a Supreme Court decision that came down uh, for, because of uh, the, the rights that they stripped away from teachers that came in, which meant we needed more additional seats above and beyond what we had already projected that we needed, the shortfall. We also have seen 250,000 people come to British Columbia, and many of those people are coming to Surrey. So we acknowledge that the demand is there and it's growing, and we welcome people all across British Columbia. But, Honourable Speaker, 10,000 seats 
is what we're delivering as a government. 10,000 seats in the city of Surrey, not in the province, city of Surrey, Honourable Speaker. And in fact, Honourable Speaker, the member uh, asked questions uh, and she knows that there's a brand new elementary school that we've announced that's coming in her community as well. And so, Honourable Speaker, significant investments are being made and we're going to continue to make more investments. Okay. Sorry, South Supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Well, unlike the current government, which actually cut funding to learners with disabilities like dyslexia, I can assure you that the budget actually went up overall under the previous government. In fact, I'd also Members. like to remind Members. the government that actually... Members, let's hear the question, please. Please continue. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. In fact, the previous government started six new schools, eight additions, and opened 6,700 new seats. And while the NDP continue to make excuses for double-decker portables, we actually cut the number of portables by 100 from what the, they had left. NDP government had left in the 1990s, and we built, of course, new schools like Grandview Heights and the Salish Secondary. The NDP promises, and this is a quote, a total removal of these portables over the course. Members, members, members. Don't, they don't like the facts, uh, Honourable Speaker, but, but this is a quote. This is a direct quote, uh, Honourable Speaker. A total removal of these portables over the course of the next four years, end quote. And I'm sorry if it hurts your feelings, but it was a clear promise and timeline. Yet, as with other issues, a huge chasm, huge chasm between the Premier's rhetoric and their terrible results. Results that include a $17.5 million that the school district has now been forced to pay for portables that were supposed to be eliminated and now double-decker portables? I'll ask again because the question really wasn't answered. Has the Premier utterly abandoned his promise to eliminate portables in Surrey? And if not, what are the revised timelines? Government House Leader. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And uh, I do find it interesting that the opposition puts the newest member up to ask questions because the rest of them that were here know what their history and their record is. <laughs> Members, 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 cut it down, please. Both sides. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. That's I, I can see everybody. You don't have to tell me. Okay. Shh. Minister will continue. Thank you so much. Um, uh, I, I appear to have hit a soft spot there, Honourable Speaker. I will say that a uh, member mentioned a couple things. Um, I think it's important for the member to know, um, perhaps you can talk to the colleagues around, they actually cut adult basic um, education when they were in government. They actually made cuts to it. And I appreciate the member wasn't here for that, but her colleagues around her can tell her. Honourable Speaker, not only are we investing in schools, Honourable Speaker. Members. Members. 
We are wasting time here, guys. Please continue. Honorable Speaker, not only are we already investing 10,000 new seats, so above the 8,000 also for growth, we know there needs to be more. But, Honorable Speaker, it's not just the, the, uh, the structures that we need. We also need to invest in, in the classrooms, in our educators. 24% increase per, in, in funding per student since we formed government. 24% increase. In We value the education system, we, we value the structures, but we also value, very importantly, the teachers, the educators in the classrooms. That's why we make the investments we have been making. We're going to continue to invest in Surrey and communities around the province. Member for West Vancouver, Capilano. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, although the minister likes to avoid the actual question, I will bring it back to the completely failed promise by the NDP to deliver uh, or to eliminate uh, portables. Um, now, you would expect the Premier and his government to display at least some embarrassment for so brazenly betraying their promises to families. And it's not just Surrey, Mr. Speaker, getting the NDP's double-decker portables. Here's what Souk School Board Chair Ravi Parmar says, quote, one of the things that we have to do in the absence of new school builds is to add portables. The province is not able to fund at the pace of growth that we're seeing in the Souk School District, end quote. Apparently, this NDP candidate hasn't received the message guide yet, which is strange as his political staffer works just down the hallway. So why, Mr. Speaker, has the Premier consistently failed to fulfill the NDP promises to families and forced communities to resort to desperate measures like double-decker portables? Government House Leader. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. And it's, it's interesting that they mentioned the chair of the Souk School Board. He got into politics because of the cuts that these members over here made in their government. that were being made. He, said, he found it was unacceptable and uh, coming out of high school he decided he was going to run to be on the school board to make a difference in his community, Honorable Speaker. Brand new investments in that community. In fact, I had a chance to visit some of the schools that are brand new and opening up in those communities, uh, seeing the teachers that are being hired, Honorable Speaker. Now the member also asked about Surrey and said I didn't answer a question, so I'll answer it this way. Sailor Secondary, brand new 1,500 seats in Surrey, open. Woodward Hill and Montreal, additional 195 seats. Panorama Park, additional Let's listen to this, please. Brand Members. new Height Secondary, additional brand new 1,500 seats. McDonald Elementary, 605 seats. Sullivan Elementary, I'm not even halfway through the list. And that's what's already open. And, Honorable Speaker, we have brand new investments that are happening to open additional seats, but not only investments in the classrooms, but investments in the teachers and the resources in the classrooms. Member for West Vancouver, Capilano, supplemental. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I'd just like to thank the Minister for reading off the list of uh, all of the schools started, uh, by, started by the BC Liberal government. Um, so results are what matter. And from Surrey to Langford, this Premier is failing miserably to provide the schools students desperately need. 
The crowding and proliferation of portables is forcing schools to stack students in double-decker portables. Shame. Here's more from Ravi Parmar, and I quote, the province doesn't provide the funding at the pace we need. Happy Valley is jammed packed. We've added as many portables as we can, end quote. Jammed packed with portables isn't exactly a great campaign slogan from the Premier's hand-picked candidate. Mr. Speaker, is the Premier failing families in Surrey, the Souk School District, and right across this province, reaching a point where students are being crammed into double-decker portables? Government House Leader. No, I appreciate, Honourable Speaker, the, um, the, uh, the opposition now not uh, being in favour of uh, portables. Uh, they will remember that there was a uh, Minister of Education that sat on their sat within them, uh, Minister Fassbender, who uh, on record multiple times said there's nothing wrong with uh, portables. On several occasions, Honourable Speaker. Now, Members. It's your question, period. Minister will continue. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. Um, you know, I've, I've already started a list of all the schools that we've opened. Brand new, yeah, yeah. Zero, zero capital funding, and uh, they say they started school, Honourable Speaker. Members, members, the question was asked. Let's listen to the answer now. Members, please continue. Uh, Honourable Speaker, uh, I can share with the members that we have uh, not only the 10,000 that I've already committed to, I've already said, we're also opening Tatalu Elementary School in the members' writing that asked the question. Semiamu Trail Elementary is getting expansion. Kwantlen Park Secondary is getting expansion. KB Woodward Elementary is getting expansion. Sinokomish Elementary, brand new elementary school coming. Tammy Secondary is getting expansion. Guilford Park Secondary expansion. Fleetwood Park Secondary expansion. Clay Clayton uh, Heights Secondary is getting expansion. Forsyth Road Elementary is getting expansion. Let me catch my breath because there's more. Uh, site secured for Darts Hill Elementary. So, because you know, we have to buy land because the opposition sold the land to uh, private developers. We've also secured a site for a new. Let the minister, f let the minister finish, please. We've conclude it. Please conclude. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. We've uh, secured uh, sites for uh, Dart Hill Elementary School uh, and also uh, sites secured for Redwood Heights Elementary. Honourable Speaker, we're making significant investments not only in our schools, not only in our educators, but we're also making investments to buy land so that we can have uh, the schools and the infrastructure that we need. Leader of the third party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Today in the TIE, Katie Hislop has an article summarizing the Representative for Children and Youth report on why youth are fleeing the child welfare system in this province. Hundreds of youth and children are missing every single month from the child welfare system in BC. The reality is that government creates the conditions to, that lead to so many children 
becoming lost, going missing, or disappearing from care. After the tragic death of Trayvon Desjardins Chalifu, the minister and her ministry said that they were making changes to improve in-care services, calling the changes, quote, transformational. But we've heard this for decades. Honorable Speaker, there have been reports on the failures of BC Child's welfare system for decades. The reports have been saying the same things for decades. It doesn't matter what government's there. The protection is of the system and not of the children in that system. We have to have a government that has the courage to stand up for the children and not the system. My question, Honourable Speaker, through you, is to the Minister of Children and Families. How can the government ensure the safety and well-being of children that it is supposed to be caring for when they don't know where those children are? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. Nothing is more important than the safety and well-being of the children and youth who are in our care. When a child or youth is missing, immediate steps are taken, Honourable Speaker. We want to make sure that they receive the same response as any caring parent. And I can tell you that our frontline staff immediately take steps to locate those children and youth and to make sure that they are kept in a safe home as well, Honourable Speaker. We have been making changes to the in-care system. We know, and the representative has reminded us, that there is a lack of a sense of belonging for children and youth who are in the care system. So we've taken steps to make sure that children and youth are connected to their family, to their community, and to their culture. We're taking steps to change the system to make sure that when children and youth, if they do have to come into care, that their needs are met and that their placement, their home and their carers are there to meet their needs, Honourable Speaker. The other thing that we have done is we have passed legislation, we have changed policy, we have taken action in order to try and keep children and youth safely with their families, Honourable Speaker, and actually prevent them coming into the care system at all. Because we know that for children and youth, that their, their outcomes are going to be so much better and children and youth will be able to thrive. Leader of Third Party Supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And uh, the Minister started with the statement that exactly the same statement that was sent to Katie Hislop in the TAI. Uh, nothing is more important than the safety and well-being of children and youth who are in our care. And yet, the data, the evidence, the reality for so many of these children demonstrates that that is not the outcome that is happening. Over nine months in 2022, an average of 432 children went missing. Each month, four children died. The report from the representative of children youth states, quote, a lack of action by authorities has resulted in the child welfare system continuing to function as a pipeline to child exploitation, sex trafficking, and murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls. It's time for us to stop with the talking points, to stop with the endless efforts to protect this system. The system is failing. It's built on a system that was designed to remove Indigenous children from their families. That is the foundation of this system. It continues to work in this way. There is a multi-level failure. And, Honourable Speaker, I think it would be really important for every member of this House and for the public to know that for each child in care, this government budgets 
$135,000 per year per child. If we want to keep children with their families, let's take a significant portion of that and provide it to the families so that they can meet the needs of their children. $135,000 per child per year, a lot of that going to for-profit group homes where nobody can tell you where those children question are. Member. My question, Honourable Speaker, through you, to the Minister of Children and Families, how can she reconcile the lack of safety in government care for children and youth when safety is used to justify the reason for removing children from their parents in the first place? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the, the question. When any child or youth is injured or, or there's a death, it's a terrible tragedy, Honourable Speaker, and my heart goes out to anybody connected with those children and youth. Um, when a child or youth from care is missing, every step is taken to locate that child or youth and to make sure that they are in a safe home and that they have the supports and services that they need, Honourable Speaker. I uh, appreciate the report from the representative. We're taking the recommendations very seriously and we will be responding to them very quickly with, and in collaboration with our staff, with partner agencies, with Indigenous service providers as well. Honourable Speaker, we have made some progress. Uh, here in Chambers, just last November, Honourable Speaker, we passed uh, really significant legislation to support Indigenous um, indigenous jurisdiction because we know that indigenous children and youth have been overrepresented in the system for far too long and we're absolutely committed to changing that and to working with indigenous nations and communities so that children and youth are able to stay connected to their family to their community and to their culture we have a lot more work to do honorable speaker and i'm absolutely committed to doing it member for caribou chilcotin well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm glad we're talking about the safety of children today because every day in British Columbia, parents fear their children will encounter needles in parks and playgrounds due to the Premier's reckless decision to permit the open, and use, open use of dangerous drugs like crystal meth, crack cocaine and fentanyl. What the public doesn't understand is why. Why having a beer in a public park is strictly regulated. There are no restrictions or ban on using drugs like crystal meth, crack cocaine and fentanyl. I mean, frankly, it's absurd that we're even having this debate. Will the Premier implement a provincial ban on the public use of drugs like crystal meth, crack cocaine and fentanyl, yes or no? Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to uh, the member for the question, which relates to the pilot project of decriminalization of, of drugs, uh, which, of course, is in the context in our province of an unrelenting toxic drug crisis, which is the leading cause of unnatural death in our province. And that is why we have taken these steps uh, and answered a call from police, from frontline care providers, from public health, from municipalities, to remove the fear and stigma uh, for people who are uh, dealing with problematic substance use 
and uh, to decriminalize small amounts of uh, illicit drugs so that we are better positioned to connect those individuals to care and support. Municipalities through the UBCM have been a part of uh, our core planning table, working uh, with, uh, with all of our partners on developing the, uh, the application for exemption. They continue to be very much part of uh, monitoring and, and, and uh, overseeing the implementation of this. And they will work very closely, as they have been doing, with their public health officers to, uh, to assess the impact of this on the ground and, to, and, to, and, and we will continue to work with them to respond to any uh, concerns that may arise, as we have been doing throughout, and I'm very grateful for the collaboration of municipalities on this serious public health matter. Member Supplemental. Well, Mr. Speaker, the Minister suggested removing fear. You've, you've created it in our communities. And that answer is not good enough for the parents that are very fearful. Let's take Campbell River as an example of what this Premier, through his total absence of lead leadership, is forcing municipalities to do. Municipalities that are simply trying to keep their children safe. Back in January, they passed a bylaw to provide a law enforcement with the tools to address open drug use in public areas. However, confronted with provincial opposition and a lawsuit from the Premier's Pivot Legal Society, they had to repeal it. They've tried again, only to face another setback this week, to have delay again due to the intervention from this minister. Mr. Speaker, no one should have to worry about their children being exposed to drugs in parks and playgrounds and other public spaces. Why is the Premier not demonstrating any leadership and taking action at the provincial level to ban the public use of dangerous drugs like crystal meth, crack cocaine and fentanyl? Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And I just, I mean, the, the, the member, with all due respect, the member has some facts quite, quite wrong uh, with respect to, uh, with respect to, yeah, in, in, indeed, and I'll, I'll explain. First of all, by saying that this project is one tool that was identified by the Select Standing Committee to which all parties in this House, with the exception of the BC Conservatives, members, 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 all parties in members, this House. Members, no interruptions, please. Members. In a really un, sort of unprecedented uh, um, understanding, nonpartisan understanding of the crisis impacting uh, impacting our province with respect to the toxic drug crisis, and so I'm grateful that 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 we're at a place where. Uh, we're, we're all working together um, to try to turn the dial on this unrelenting crisis. But let me just say about, um, about Campbell River, because I've been to Campbell River. I've toured Campbell River. I have met with service providers. I've met with homeless people. I've met with doctors, with physicians, with nurses who work day in and day out to provide care for people who are homeless, for people who have addictions, for people who are struggling. And that work, that is profound work that is, uh, that is unfolding in a community on the island that has the, uh, um, just about the highest mortality rate from this crisis of any other community on Vancouver Island. 
And I know that that municipal council is concerned about that. I know that that municipal council is working with their medical health officer. I am looking forward to meeting in person with, uh, with uh, representatives from Campbell River to talk about how we work together to, uh, to, to engage not just the municipality but the First Nations implicated uh, in this crisis in Campbell River as well to try to better support the situation on the ground. But that council knows full well that they are working with their medical health officer under the law, under the Public Health Act, which requires municipalities to work with their medical health officers on matters of public health. That's what they're doing. We're working Thank through you. a process, and we'll continue to do that work with them. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Well, Mr. Speaker, I think it's very important. The, the Minister wants accuracy. Let's get some actual accuracy going on this. On page 48 of the All Committee report, it says very clearly, they, as in all of the committee, they agreed that there must, not may, must be consideration of local needs and circumstances during the implementation of decriminalization. In this regard, members supported continuing consultation and support for municipalities. The simple fact is that support doesn't exist. The consultation hasn't existed to the level municipalities want. We're getting continued mixed messages from this government. This minister says it's health-related. It has to have approval through health boards. The Minister of Municipal Affairs says, and I quote, local governments are elected by their constituents and their community. They know what is best for their communities. End quote. We can't get a straight answer out of this government. And they keep talking about everything other than open drug use in parks and playgrounds on things like crack and fentanyl and heroin. What the public wants, what mayors in Kelowna, New Westminster, other mayors and council around this province, is a simple province-wide ban around parks and playgrounds. And this government is refusing to allow that to happen. Parents simply want their eight-year-old to go play on a slide without needing the eight-year-old to be the drug intervention prevention officer or someone ODing with open drug use around that slide. That's what they want. They understand that Crab Park will not be enforced, that the tent encampment there will still see drug use in that park, but they want the tool to be able to try to enforce and move people along, help them get treatment when they are causing a problem around slides, around swings, around water parks. So when will this soft on crime premier listen to the communities instead of the Pivot Legal Society actually bring in a province-wide ban on the open use of fentanyl, crack, heroin, and other hard drugs around our kids' playgrounds and beaches. Minister. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the, to the member for the question. I, I, I would suggest, though, that the confusion perhaps is on that side of the house. The confusion is not, at the municip not with municipalities. Municipalities understand full well what their obligations are under the Public Health Act. And they, are, they routinely engage with, uh, with health authorities and public health officials on, uh, with respect to public health matters. This is no different and there is nothing in decriminalization that restricts the tools that, uh, that municipalities have, and in fact, we are having ongoing discussions with municipalities in that regard. You know, the member raised the, the issue with respect to the, uh, to the, uh, to the Health Canada requirements 
um, for the decriminalization pilot project. And I will just, uh, I will just note that um, Health Canada approved the exemption based on the submission that was made and, uh, and approved this, uh, this pilot project. Having, having reviewed all of the uh, actions that have been taken under all of the, the points, all of the requirements that they placed. That they placed. So in regard to alternative measures uh, and being able to direct individuals to health and social services supports, we have those supports in place. We have staff in place in order to direct and support individuals access Members, uh, members, let access health care support. Let the minister. We have ongoing consultation. Let the minister conclude, please. We have ongoing consultation, honourable speaker, with all of our partners, including uh, municipalities. We have an unprecedented one billion dollar investment in this budget, which follows on unprecedented investments in mental health and substance use in previous budge budgets to build out our system of treatment and care. And I could go on and on and on, and would be happy to review that um, that that list with members. But more importantly, honourable speaker, I, I I I think this is a time when we have an unrelenting crisis that impacts our communities in so many different and complicated ways that we need to work together. We really need to work together to change the dial on this issue, Honourable Speaker. The bell ends the question period.